Well, good morning, Richland Creek. It's good to see you all again this week. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you turn to Philippians chapter 3? And so thankful to spend those few moments just meditating on the work of Christ holding us to Him. And it's a great joy today to spend these few moments and just want to say I missed being with you all last week. Very thankful for Dr. Scott Pace. Man, he did a tremendous job uh, walking through that text last week and so thankful for a church that when you, when somebody goes away or somebody else steps in the pulpit, we just keep reading the Bible. And that's what we do here so that, you know, whoever the preacher is that stands up here, we're going to be reading the Bible and spending these few moments uh, in the Word of God. And so as a part of that, I do want to uh, mention this today. Uh, Many of you have asked me over these past few weeks what version I read out of. I am reading out of the English Standard uh, Version, and so the ESV. So if you'd like to follow along, that's the Bible I'm using to preach out of. But also, I do want to say this. If you're here, and maybe you're a guest today, and you don't own a copy of the Bible. You, you don't have a Bible with you. I just want to tell you, we have those available. So on your way out today, you can stop by our welcome desk and we have a copy of the Word of God. We want to make sure not only do we elevate it high in here, but if anybody comes here, we would love for them to have a copy of the Word of God. So uh, if you'll pick one of those up uh, on your way out, we'd love uh, for you to have a copy of the Bible. But uh, we do want to be in Philippians chapter 3 today, and this is entering really the second half of the book. We're about halfway through uh, Philippians, and really, probably entering maybe my favorite chapter uh, in the Bible. I don't know. We'll, we'll see as we walk through it. But as we walk through these next texts, I mean, it's just tremendous uh, what Paul's going to build. Uh, this, this chapter, and really the text we'll be on next week, is how the Lord really used it to just change my life. And so I pray that for us as a church. And so if you have your copy of God's Word open to Philippians 3, would you please stand in honor of the reading of His Word? Now we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to work our way down through verse 6 today. We're going to hear Paul walk through some of his testimony. We're going to hear him speak about himself. And we're really going to see how the gospel is something that should be really repeated in our life, something we should always be listening to. So if you have your copy of God's Word open, we'll begin reading in chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. The Word of God says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs and look out for the evildoers and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, and as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Heavenly Father, we ask by the the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would set us free of the bondage of legalism 
that enslaves us. And Lord, give us the joy and the freedom today that can only be found in the grace that you can give. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, some people, when they work out, it's not hard enough for them. And so they find what people call is a, a weighted vest. And so what, what this is, is an actual extra weight that you would put on. It's a vest you would wear. And so while you're running, as if your weight is not enough, these folks need more. I find it being difficult enough with my own weight. They add a, an extra bit of weight. Or maybe when they're lifting weights and they're doing pull-ups or whatever it might be, they're going to add this vest onto them, this extra weight, so that they can get a workout. I feel like that for those of us who come in here today, and I really, really want to use this text to speak to church people, that, that for those of us who come in here today and live under the umbrella of God is accepting me because of my own works. We live under the weighted burden of legalism. You, you may not even realize you're under it today. As we talk, you may start listening and hearing and saying, you know what, I didn't realize that I was believing that my acceptance before God was with me and not with Christ. And so what I want us to do for a few moments today is we're going to look at the gospel here, and, and we're going to do it in such a way that I hope brings us joy. Look at verse 1 there. He says this short phrase. He says, finally. <laughs> it's strange, right? The beginning of verse chap chapter 3, he says, finally. He's still got two more chapters to go. Uh, but, but this is just a transition phrase. And then he says, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. And so what he's about to say is there to bring us joy. You see, let me tell you today, the grace found in the gospel brings joy to our lives. See, true joy is found in Christ alone. Now, and I know you, you may have heard the gospel, you've been in church a long time, but, but I want you to, to listen with fresh ears today to how the gospel might bring you joy and how you may not realize it, but your heart is creeping away from grace and towards legalism. Now, there are four truths I want to give you today that point to the joy found in the gospel. Here's the first one if you're taking notes today. The joy that you can have in the gospel is you can't hear the gospel too much. There's not a moment that the gospel can be repeated to you in a way that it, we're done with that. See, a lot of times we think of the gospel as if it's the starter for the Christian life. That we're going to just come to the gospel, that's when we profess faith in Christ, and in that moment it's as if we've unlocked the key to God, we've entered the door to the church, we got the code, and now we don't have to deal with the code anymore. I'm in now. The gospel's in my past. But that's not how the gospel works. The gospel bears repeating and speaking to it over and over again. Look at what Paul says here in verse 1 again. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe 
for you. So he's to write these same things to you. He's, he's saying, I have written this stuff before and I'm writing it again. So what he's about to go over is not new. And I know in this passage today, in a lot of ways, if you've been around church a minute or two, what I'm about to say today is not necessarily new. You see, if, if you go to a church and they speak new things, there's a problem. We have been a part of a faith that has been repeating the same things for a really long time. And so we are people that repeat truths over and over again. Look what it does to them. He says to write the same things to you is no trouble. It's not, it's not difficult for him. And look what it does for them. It's a safeguard for them. It's a safe for you. You see, the, the gospel uh, repeated in our life works like a safeguard over and over again. It's protecting our heart. So you don't leave the gospel behind. You don't graduate from it. It's something that is constantly repeated in your life. One of my favorite authors that really has shown this to me is a guy named Jerry Bridges. Many of you may be familiar with his book, Pursuit of Holiness. It was a book I was given in high school and changed my life in many ways. And, and Bridges, if you pick up anything he writes, it's tremendous. But one of the things he says is you should preach the gospel to yourself every day. Every single day, you should be preaching the gospel to your own heart. You need, to be, you need to be told over and over again about the grace of God. You see, our minds need repetition. They're, they're constantly leaking. Can I get an amen? Right. As you get older, you'll start to learn things disappear. There may be, when you live long enough, you'll be able to remember back in your life and think, there's an entire year, and I don't remember anything happened for that entire year, and you didn't even use drugs to forget it, right? So, so there's forgetfulness in your life. And as you forget the gospel truth, our sinful heart has, a, has this lean to go back and pick up legalism again, to say, say, in order for God to love me, I have to be good enough for him. You, you see, the pride and self-reliance is like a drug that we're addicted to, and we need the gospel to break us from that. And so you need to have this stuff on repeat in your life. So I know that as I'll, I'll get to really the, these verses when Paul talks about what didn't save him, you're going to be like, yeah, yeah, I, I got that. But what, here's what I want to say today is you need to hear it again and again and again. Your ears need to be open to this grace. But, but it's not just what we, we need to have on repeat. There's another danger here. We need to be careful who we listen to. Here's the second thing I want you to see, is you can't listen to every preacher. You can't listen to every preacher. Believe it or not, everybody who gets on TV or shows up in a church and claims to preach is not telling the truth. Just because you see a preacher, that doesn't mean that what you're hearing from them is true. And Paul warns the Philippians of this here in verse 2. It, it's interesting. If you've been following this journey with us, Philippians has been this really kind and joyful book. And right here in verse 2, Paul just makes a turn, right? He's about, to, he's about to speak in some really strong language. Listen to verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs, Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And so before he goes into the gospel, he says, I, I got some folks I need you to look out for. 
There's, there's three things he lists here. Now, they're all the same people. These are Judaizers. These are people who were Jewish, and now they've become Christians. And what they're trying to do is take some of the law and add it to the gospel, saying that you are saved by Jesus plus these works. And in Acts 15, this is brought to the church, and they, they reject it. They say, no, 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 we're going to be by faith alone, and Christ alone is how you're saved. And so they're saying there's, there's not some sort of additional truth onto the gospel. And so what we deal with when we speak about preachers you listen to, he's warning about those who would add to the gospel. Now, now listen to the terms he uses. He uses three terms here. The first one's dogs. Now, I know you may love your dog. And so when you think of this, you think, oh, how could it be so negative? You know, I, we got a puppy this past year in January. It was the first dog we've had in our home. I am convinced that dog lives better than a lot of people do on this planet. Some of your dogs do. You have birthday parties for your dogs. You're, you'll even, I, I can't bring myself to do it, but your dog will lick you in the mouth and and there's this relationship you have with your dog. So when you hear this, you think, there's no way you could think in a derogatory nature about a dog. You can't think they're negative. But, but in our minds today, I would say I would compare it to like a rat would be how they would have seen a dog. They would not have been a clean animal. In the Old Testament, Israel will call their enemies dogs. Or maybe, maybe you would think of them as a cat. That might be how I might think of it. Sorry, I... Anyway, I made some enemies there. Some of you are going to quit listening. <laughs> some of you like me better now, but either way. But, but this is an animal that they would see as, as unclean. And so for them, they, he, this is not a kind word when he calls them a dog. He, he uses the second term, evildoers. And so you think about what you know about Pharisees in the Bible and those that are trying to earn God's favor by a law. And so he takes the term of doing for God and he twists it. And he says, when you're trying to follow these laws for God, he calls them evil doers. And so he's twisting uh, the words describing their earning God's favor and speaking of it in an evil way. And then the final term here, mutilators of the flesh. Here he's speaking about the sign of the covenant between Israel called circumcision. Now here, he, he would speak of it respectfully, but when you add a requirement on top of the gospel, he says, you're simply just cutting. You're, you're not actually doing anything to bring the favor of God. So Paul is saying that if you are adding something to the gospel and saying these works are what's saving you, then these people are, they're dogs, they're evildoers, and they're mutilators of the flesh. And he says, what does he say three times in verse two? Look at it again. What does he say? He says, look out. He says, be aware. Be warned that there will be those who are coming in your midst, twisting the gospel and adding to the grace of God extended to you. So, so his warning is for us to be careful who we're listening to. And so let me speak about if I were to take that church was, was having groups come in and add to the gospel. What, what do we face today? What, what's the attack in our world on adding to the gospel? I, I would say the first place you need to be looking are, are preachers and teachers of the Bible. 
And I'm not saying you discount all of them. I'm saying you can't listen to all of them. So every time you turn on the TV and you open your ears up, you can't just accept everything you see a preacher say. You need to be opening up the Bible and say, is this the gospel that I'm supposed to hear? He's warning about the, the preachers and who you should be listening to, you, who you watch on TV, who you read. It, this is surprising maybe, is if you walk in a Christian bookstore, every book you pick up is not a gospel book. It, it, it sneaks in. That's why Paul's point here is not that these people are out there and they're part of the church of Satan and you're like, these people are clearly far off. The danger here is they've got Jesus. They talk about Jesus, but they say, Jesus and. And they add to the gospel. And so you might hear a preacher, he speaks about Jesus. You say, that sounds good. But is he saying that by faith alone in Christ alone, you are saved and made right with him? That's, that's the point Paul's making. And then I'll give you a second place I see it today is with, with those that might be your counselors. And there's a couple different levels of this. First of all, it could be professional counseling. You need to be careful when you go to a counselor that they're giving you gospel advice. You say, well, I can take my counseling over here and then I can come to church over here. Let me, let me say something to you. I, I'm going to say that your life change is all through your faith. And so that's why we, we have a great biblical counseling ministry here with Mike Green who leads it. And it's a tremendous, I've heard from so many of you, when you got involved in that, it changed your life. And, and so you ought to be listening and say, who, who are my counselors when I go listen to my counselor? But I'll even step down and say, who are the friends you have giving you advice? You need to be careful that the people you're listening to in your life are godly gospel people. You, you don't want to say that when something goes wrong, the first people I run to are the non-Christians. So what Paul's saying, he said, look out for those who are going to give you bad gospel advice. So, so that's his, his word here, and he's pretty dogmatic. It's pretty strong. You hear the language, right? Then this age, here's the third area I'd warn you against, is really the internet, right? And it's on different levels. Some of us are on Facebook. Some of us are on TikTok, depending on the age you're at. And parents, if you don't know what your kids are watching, you better, you better know because there's a generation out there trying to teach our kids something other than the gospel on the internet. And you can't be disengaged from that. And the same way you have to learn to discern the world, when you look at it, you've got to help your kids discern the world as they look at it. Because all of that world is trying to give you a message. It's amazing sometimes now how often I'll run into a young boy or girl and they can spout anti-gospel things and it's because they learned it on YouTube or TikTok or somewhere out in the world and that was the anti-gospel counselor they received. So, so Paul says, look out for it. So when we think about the gospel today, and we're, we're going to jump into what it actually is here in a second. It's one of those things we as Christians need to have on repeat over, over, over. Every day you preach the gospel to yourself, and then you watch for it. You listen to say, what is the counsel I'm getting, and is it for or against the gospel? So that's what we're listening out for. But then the most dangerous part is our pride. And here's the third thing I want you to see is you can't trust in your works. So you can't trust in your own self. Th that means that the same way you can't trust the, 
that everyone who's preaching to you, you also can't trust in your own salvation and your own works. So this means that you can't earn God's favor and make it to heaven based upon what you do. And so Paul's going to give us a list here. And as he does, he's going to do it in a way to show us just how ridiculous it sounds when we think that way. Look at verse 4 with me. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So what he's saying is that if, if you think you have a reason to be confident in your own works before God to save you, then he says, listen, I've got more. He says, if you memorized 100 Bible verses, I memorized 200. That's where he's going. He's saying, if you think you could pile up a list, let me tell you about my list. And what seems like bragging here in a moment actually is to his shame. These are not things he's proud of, and they're actually things that will be, as he'll say later in the chapter, complete trash to him. So, So this list, as we do it, should be for the Christian And we should say, you know what? None of these things are why I stand right before God. It is simply, hear me today, it is simply by the work of Christ on the cross. That's it. And and so, as we do this list, I, I hope to speak to your heart in this. I hope you don't glaze over it. As we do this list, For for those who are pretty good in this room, you're a pretty good person, I I want you to look at all those things, and while be it, those are good marks of the work of the Spirit in your life, none of those are the reason that you'll walk into heaven. It it will be all by the blood of Christ. And so so, so let's look here. I'll break the list. There's seven things, and I'll break it into two halves. The, The first four deal with his past, the, the next three deal with his present. So, so let me ask you this question. Are you trusting in your past for salvation? Now, I'm going to rifle through these four, first four. I'm going to take them from the context of which he did them, and then I'm going to bring them to you and me today, how it would work for us. So let's just look at each phrase. He says he was, cir- he, says he was circumcised on the eighth day. This means he's an eight-dayer, as you could call it. He, on his eighth day of life, was circumcised by the law at the exact moment it would have been called for. He physically bears the badge of Judaism, and this would have been the mark in his life from the very beginning. This might be for you. You were baptized as a kid, and you would say, when I, that happened to me, that's what I remember, that ritual, that rite, and I mark that when that happened, that's when I became a Christian. You mark your baptism as what saves you. You know, you say, my baptism was great. Well, my baptism was, I, I can do the Paul here. When I was nine, I was baptized, and they, uh, the, the heater was broken that day. And so w- when I went down in the water, but, but I was nine, and they didn't tell me. So I, by my own surprise, walked down in freezing cold water and was baptized. So my baptism, I guess, was more than yours, I guess. I don't know. So either way, we would say, do you, do you trust, do you look back and say, I, 
I was baptized. That's why God accepts me. Look at this next phrase, of the people of Israel. You know, Paul came from a long line of faith, from ancestors in the Old Testament. He could trace back and he says, I come from the right family. Maybe you were born into a Christian family. You can look back through your pedigree, mom, dad. I'll say this, maybe you're a child in this room. Maybe you're 6, 8, 10, 12 years old. And your parents are faithful in church here. Let me tell you this today. I know they may be godly people, but you're not going to go to heaven because of their faith. You're going to go to heaven because of your faith. So he says, I come from, a Christ- I come from this line of the people of Israel that, that doesn't matter. He even goes a little further. He says, the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I was from a special tribe. Benjamin's unique. He's the only son of uh, Jacob that's born in the promised land. Benjamin's the, when the tribes split, I don't know how much you know about Israel's history, but after David kind of brings all the 12 tribes of Israel together, Solomon then takes over, and then the tribes after Solomon will split into two halves. There'll be Judah, and there'll be Israel, and Judah will be way better than Israel. Israel barely ever has a good king. Judah actually has some good leadership, and Judah will be Judah and Benjamin. So Benjamin will be a part of that history of faithfulness. And then Paul He was originally named Saul, who was from the tribe of Benjamin. So here he is, uh, Saul, who would have been the first king of Israel. That's what I'm talking about. But all I'm saying here is that he not only comes from a church family, he comes from a good family that comes from a long history. So just because you were a preacher's kid or your mom and dad were really active at church, that doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. He says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He could speak the language of the Old Testament. He could read it. He was trained under the respected teacher, Gamaliel. So for him, he grew up in the best of schools. He went to Christian school. He went to Awana. He learned verses. He was active. He learned everything he could about the faith as a child. So that's your past. So let me pause in this moment. Let me say, that if you're trusting in any of that to be what sends you to heaven, you won't make it. Do you understand that you can have all of that and still go to hell? That's the reality of the gospel here, is there is only one who can save And it is only trusting in the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the victorious resurrection of Christ, and that's your merit before him. So not your past, but let's look at the present. Maybe you're doing things for God right now. Look look what he says here. The present, he he has this phrase, as to the law, he was a Pharisee. So he came from a line of a of a family that kept the rules. The Bible actually says his mom and dad, his ancestors were Pharisees. So he knew how to play the church game. He knew how to follow all the rules you might have at church. So he could go to church and walk around and everybody thought he was the good one. Look at the next phrase. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. And so for him to be a part of a Pharisee, one of the things they would do is they would send what we would look at today as mission trips, right? Paul was sent out to do the work of making sure that people became like they were and not like others. And he was as passionate as anybody. And here's the truth. You can go on a mission trip and still not be a Christian. 
You could go on 10 mission trips. That's not going to send you to heaven. And Paul said, I had all the zeal in the world to go out for the Lord. And even for that, that's not what did it for me. Look at his next phrase. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. What he means here, he didn't, he didn't actually think he was perfect. But what he says is that when it came to the list of rules that the Pharisees would have laid out, I did really well at following all of those. You can do all the things around church and still go to hell. I'm not trying to be morbid. Say, did he just talk about hell at church? Let me tell you, if you read the Gospels, you hear Jesus talked a lot about a place called hell. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to speak in a sober moment that Paul says, this is my list. And he says, none of these things saved me. So where, where did the problem come from? The problem comes from trusting those things to be what saves you apart from simply Christ alone. So I know, I know maybe you grew up in, in church. And to be clear, I, I want to make sure this is clear. I'm not preaching against, and you've heard me talk about it the past few weeks, that once you come to faith in Christ, you will do all of these works. You'll go on mission trips. You'll be in church. You'll memorize scripture. You'll do the list. Here, here's the difference, though. Those are a result of the work of God in your life. They're not the cause of you becoming a Christian. They're simply God doing that in your life. So, so we're going we're gonna to expect those things to happen, but those are, not by, those are not the ways in which you are saved. It is simply by Christ alone. So hear me today. Listen, listen for me for a moment. Maybe you've, you've, you've grown up in your life, and I know this isn't everybody, but you've actually been a pretty good person. You've never done anything terribly bad. You never went out and sowed your wild oats like some people did, right? You even go the speed limit. That's a pretty big thing to do, right? You've never stolen as much as a paper clip in your life. And when everybody else from high school or along the way went out and left the faith, you've just always been there. But what has crept into your mind is that all of that is why God accepts me. And it's not. That's not why God takes you. The reason that God will accept you into heaven one day is simply by Christ alone. That, that'll be what gets us there. It, it won't be this other. I'll tell a story that might help. When I first got to seminary, I went to Southeastern Seminary right up the road here. So I had just graduated from NC State and I went to seminary. And I went to one of my first classes. I was turning in my first paper. As I'm going to turn in this first paper, I am uh, going to place it up front. And actually, uh, to this day, I was thinking about this. The, the professor I had, <laughs> I think, if my memory's right, you know, that's kind of leaky. You know what I'm saying? And so I think that my first pro professor was a man by the name of Dr. Dan Heimbach, who's actually a member at this church here. 
And uh, as I'm sitting in the class, we're going to turn in our first paper, and I'm, I'm proud. I've worked on this paper. I'm really looking forward to turning it in. And we're sitting there, and those of you who've been in the seminary, you're familiar with it, you'll appreciate this moment. And the guy next to me says, man, that, doing all that Turabian stuff, that was tough. And I said, uh, who? Who's Turabian? And I'm sitting there wondering what exactly he's talking about. Now, as I'm, as I'm getting ready to turn in my paper, I said, what, what are you talking about? So, well, you know, we used to do the, I think it's the MLA style when you're in college. I had that down. He said, well, there's a whole new formatting style for your paper now in college. And I had never heard of this. So here I am, the day I am, ready to go drop this paper in the front. Back before you emailed it, you actually took a physical paper and set it at the front of the room. And here I got this paper printed, and it is completely formatted wrong. I'm thinking it's an A paper, and it's far from A, is it not? And uh, I remember I went up to Dr. Heimach and said, Brother, I, I didn't, this is my first class, my first paper, and he was very gracious, let me go back home, redo it, learn Turabian, and turn it in the right style. But, but I fear that some of us in our church life have been thinking that when it comes to that final grade with the Lord, that he's going to sit there and go, let's go through your list of all of how you've lived. And we're going to show up with the Lord one day, and we're going to say, Lord, here's why you should accept me in heaven. We're ready to turn that in. And our list is, let me tell you how I went to church, how I did this and how I did that. And we think we're going to walk up to the Lord, and we're going to hand him that, and he's going to go, okay, that's the right list. But what Paul's saying right here is if you think that all of the stuff you've done for him will be why he takes you into heaven, you've completely missed the whole system. You've completely missed what God's going to take. Because on that day, and you go to turn that in, you need to say, my paper is Christ alone. That's how you'll be received. And so that takes me, and we'll, we'll do this quickly, the fourth and final thing I want to point you to is you can only trust in Christ. You, you can't trust in yourself. You must trust in his work on the cross. Look at verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision. He connects us today and says, we're, we're here, the, the true church now. And then, then he gives three reasons for that. For who Worship by the Spirit of God. So, so we worship by God's Spirit. And, and this means, and I'll say this, none of us would ever be able to know Jesus without the Spirit of God revealing him. So the only way we can worship today is because the Spirit of God has revealed the Son of God, and that gets to the second phrase. Not only do we worship by the Spirit of God, but we glory in Christ Jesus. See, your glory is not in yourself. Your glory is in Christ alone. So again, when you go to turn in your work before God, you say, it's Jesus' work for me. Not only did he pay for my sins, but his righteous life is now what I am offering up. So that's the reason he says it here at the end, you put no confidence in the flesh. You say, none of what I do is what's going to save me. It is simply by Christ alone. Many of you may know the story, and I'll close with this, of the prodigal son. It's in Luke chapter 15. 
And most of us know the story because we know the story because of the younger brother. You know, the, the one that gets his inheritance and runs off and, and he goes off and he takes everything and he, he spends it till he's living in the far country and the pig slop and eventually realizes I'm, I'm completely hopeless. And so for him, it's pretty clear the only way the Father's going to take me is by his grace. But oftentimes with the, with the prodigal son story, we actually miss the elder brother. And the elder brother is maybe not even just a point. It might be the main point of the story. Because when the younger brother comes home and they're throwing this big party and celebration for the grace of God extended, the elder brother doesn't like it. Because you see, both the elder and the younger brother are lost. The younger brother left the father and took his stuff. He didn't care about it. The elder brother never cared about the father. He just wanted the stuff as well. So when the grace of God, listen for this, if you're a legalism person, you don't like grace being given elsewhere. And so for him, it bothers him. So I just want to read a couple verses. I don't want to read the whole story, but listen to the elder brother's reaction. He says, but he was angry and he refused to go in. He wouldn't go into the party. His father came out and he entreated him. So just like the father ran to that son, the father comes out of the party for this one. But he answered his father and he said, look, these many years I have served you. Hear the answer that Paul is just giving? These many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you gave, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And he says, you know what? I earned this myself. In his mind, the grace of God wasn't needed for him. He was always there. See, God is this holy God, and we were separated from him by our sin. And this great chasm, I want you to imagine a chasm like the Grand Canyon placed between us and God. And if you say, I can get to God, and you start running toward the edge of that Grand Canyon, you make a jump. You might make it 15 feet, but me nor you don't stand a chance to get to the other side. Maybe some of us can jump a little further than others. But when it comes to the distance that sin has separated us from God, no matter what we do, the elder brother, Paul's works, your growing up and your faith in the Lord and whatever, or your works before the Lord when you were a kid, all of that, none of that gets across the expanse of the canyon. Simply Christ alone does. So I told you at the beginning, some of you here are church people who grew up in church and you've been carrying the burden of legalism the whole time. It is only by Christ that any of us are saved. I don't care how long you've been doing this thing. I don't care how many things you've done at church. None of those save you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. I just want to ask you, what are you trusting in to save you? Is it Jesus? Or is it yourself?
the reality is that for some folks in this room, not everybody knows it. It's been fake on the outside. It's, been a, it, it's looked like you were a Christian. But the whole time, it's, it's not been. And for some folks in this room, you might need to just say, you know what, I know everybody thought I was, but I really, I, I need to make sure that today I'm a believer. For some of us here, it's, it's easy as a Christian to drift back into it, and, and you've started to think it's, it's my doing is what earns my favor with God. But today we all come to the Lord by grace through faith in Christ. That, that's how we come. Heavenly Father, we ask now that the power of the gospel would be open, would, would open our eyes. Lord, may we turn from our sin, repent, and then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop trusting in ourselves, but trusting in Christ alone to save us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.